Welcome, everyone, back to the 21st ever episode of Banter. I hardly know her. Today's episode is very special because we have got a chance to interview legendary Disney animator Tom Bancroft, who has created the character Mushu. He animated for a number of Disney movies in the 1990s and early 2000s and has just had an an amazing career in animation and is generous enough to share some of his amazing experiences and stories with us for the podcast. So that'll be a treat. Just heads up, we're dealing with some internet problems. The audio quality is a little spotty, but if you just bear with us, I'm sure you'll learn a lot from this great interview. We're going to jump right into it. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for taking the time out of your your busy schedule to talk to, to, to give us a phone call. Uh, us little youngins, yeah, us us uh, yeah fans, youngins, admirers, all of the above. You guys, you look really, yeah, you do look young. Uh, twenty three, so <laughs> it's okay. I'm bald, so at, at twenty two. Well, so. yeah. Oh my goodness, we well, made me feel a little better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we call it the Richardson curse in my house. But it's all right. <laughs> okay. We had the very similar curse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom, uh, I guess we'll just jump into it with. Hot we have seat. some like some quick fire hot seat kind of questions just to to break the ice, if you don't mind. Yeah, that's fine. Cool. So the first one, uh, we're interested to know, what is your favorite m- cartoon growing up? Ah. Uh. Um, I have a crazy one that I remember now. I can't remember the title. Uh, what was it? Uh, the mighty heroes. Okay. Yeah. And it was a Ralph early Ralph Bakshi, uh, cartoon that he made. I'm assuming for Hanna-Barbera or Terry tunes or something like that. And, uh, it was the superhero group of uh, ordinary people. It was like rope man and I don't know, like strong man and diaper man was like a baby. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, it was crazy. The style of it was really amazing to me, really kind of a neat stylized cartoon. And um, I don't know what it was, but it was superheroes on top of that. And I love that. So that was one that probably none of your listeners have ever heard of. Probably not. <laughs> it's just the Mighty Heroes. And it was a very basic kind of cartoon, almost like a really cartoony sort of uh, Super Friends or something huh, like that. I love that. I, I feel like I've heard of Mighty Heroes, but I can't. I can't put a, a picture. Now you got to look it up. Yeah, we're we'll to look it up. I'm actually going to look it up right now. Uh, were you were you partial to any of them? Any of the characters? Uh, yeah, I remember thinking Rope Man was really well. Yeah, I'll take it back. Um, Strong Man was ah. my favorite because he was this big muscle guy, mm-hmm. and uh, I think he was like a worked in a garage, uh, you know, auto mechanic type guy during the day and then at night. And I don't think they had powers, if I remember right. I don't remember. No, they did because Rope Man didn't look like a rope during the day <laughs> so something oh, happened uh, and they would trans they would transform okay and it was like a diaper man was like a real baby during the day yeah. and then somehow becomes diaper man and can <laughs> talk i'm looking at it right now it looks like almost like a early like rugrat style kind of 
I'm not going to say the year it came yeah. out because I don't want to age you, but <laughs> uh, no, I, I may not have seen first run. I might've been watching reruns. I'm okay. not sure. So, okay. I'm sure. I'm sure that's it was seven. Was it seventies or late sixties? Late sixties. Is it late sixties? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I would have been really, really young. So I don't know. Maybe I must have said, I don't know. It was, well, Let's just assume it was on for a few seasons and yeah, yeah. whatever. Well, it looks interesting. I might have to look into it. Yeah. But uh, what's your favorite yeah. vacation destination? Um, good question. Oh, man. Um, you know what? Florence, Italy. Oh, I, it's got to okay. be that. I was going to say California. I have family there and I go there fairly often. But <laughs> we've been to Florence now about five or six times and there's no way uh, anything can beat it. What what is the best part about it? What what sets it apart from the others? Well, it's incredibly beautiful. The weather it is very hot during the summer. Actually, it's not so different than Tennessee weather wise. Uh, that's where I live, is Nashville, and uh, so it does get cold during the winter, and it uh, and could even every once in a while snow, um, and then it's sweltering hot during the summer. But uh, but it is so beautiful and. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing like Florence, and then they they have the coast, which is beautiful, and a whole another kind of beauty. So I don't know. Uh, and there's an animation studio there oh. that that, uh, that I teach at. That's why I've gone there so often. I'm going to be going in March again for a week, and I I usually do either guest speaking there or I teach because I have some friends there. Wow, that's very that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. And you're you grew up in <laughs> California, right? Yeah, I did. Okay, so maybe yeah. so that that might be cheating a little bit to call that a, a vacation spot then. <laughs> I know, I know. I just right, it was the thing that popped in my head because it's cold outside, and I was like, oh, I'd love to be in California right now. <laughs> but, uh, hey, we're, we're uh, I go there. I go there fairly frequently. We are born and bred Indiana boys. We're, we're just so. a few hours up the road, up sixty-five there uh, in oh, Indiana, really? Lafayette, Indiana. So we understand the cold, uh, and we are also feeling. tired of it. And we are with you. I would, yeah. I would fly out to California tomorrow if they, if uh, someone paid for it. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, all right, my turn. Yeah, over here, hogging the questions. All right, best city to live in: L.A., Orlando, or Nashville? Oh. T- for lifestyle, Nashville, okay. for sure. Um, I, I enjoyed all three for different sort of reasons. California weather, hundred percent. You know, you just can't beat it. Um, and then, of course, the industry too. I miss being not so right down the road from all the big studios. And I, I have a twin brother, Tony, and he's in the industry, and so he gets to sort of access mm. all that. Uh, and I kind of miss out on, you know, I hear the gossip from him and stuff. So that's fine, I guess. But then uh, Orlando was great because of Disney World. And, and when I worked there, I was working in the parks at Disney MGM, what used to be Disney MGM Studios, and is now a Hollywood studio. And that was kind of neat. But the heat was horrible during the summer. And mm. uh, uh, it was great during the winter, but horrible during the summer. And then you take Disney out, like as soon as I lost that job and that they they shut down that studio in Florida. Really, Orlando's not a very pretty area. There's just a lot of not so great about Florida, just lifestyle-wise. Um, and then Tennessee is sort of like right in between. Tennessee, for weather, uh, it doesn't get bitterly cold. Uh, I used to live in Chicago for a couple of years for Big Idea, and that was pretty bitterly cold. Mm. As uh, Florida, somewhere right pretty much in the middle. And we get the Four Seasons, 
Um, and then, you know, housing is, is less expensive than California and uh, some areas of Florida, I suppose. So it's, it's just a better lifestyle, definitely. Very nice. Sweet. Uh, actually, so I, I am very familiar with Orlando <laughs> and I can, I can vouch that if you're not, if you take away Disney, it's muggy, humid. I, uh, lived there in 2016 while I worked yeah. in Disney World, so, uh, I can understand. And for some reason, I'm still trying to go back. So. <laughs> Honestly, I love... Are you really? Do you want to Disney World? I, I, uh, will be going... To, not to work at Disney World, but uh, I'll be going back to Orlando in August to work at a, a ministry down there. Uh, but I'll be okay. Disney World will definitely be a bonus. <laughs> that's part of it. It is. I, on the other hand, love everything that's super hot and buggy, so I would just thrive and be okay. <laughs> I wouldn't even need the Disney World <laughs> part. It'd be nice. Well, you'd have to yeah, put I'm, some sunscreen on your head, though, pretty frequently. I, no, I just wear hats, bro. Oh. <laughs> just hats. Yeah, I'm I'm somebody that I don't. I'd rather sweat than freeze. Thank like, you. I, I, I agree. I yeah. can't shake off being cold. Yeah, right? <laughs> I agree. I agree. So. Uh, so this is this is a big question. It's, it's actually really it's actually the most important one. Um, in your expert opinion, can you make a milkshake without milk? <laughs> I well, I, I'm not a, a pro at milkshakes by any means, but my guess is that you can. You just use ice cream, I guess. Legally, you can call it a milkshake. Maybe it's just melted ice cream mm. at that point. I don't know, but I'm fair gonna, enough. I'll let that go. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! All um, right. Uh, so this is a fun one. At least I think it's fun. Name <laughs> name someone you've met on your your journey through. All your work uh, that starstruck you. An opportunity oh, to name drop. <laughs> yeah, you know I've had quite a few. Um, what is the one that would stick out the most? I mean, the first one that comes to my mind is Eddie Murphy. Um, I don't know if I was like starstruck though, in that you know I liked him a lot, and you know we were just starting in Mulan, and I was going to animate Mushu, so you know I was meeting him, but. Um, Starstruck, gosh, um, I don't know. I'm gonna have to settle on that one, I guess, because I just can't think of another one. I don't get starstruck super easy, but um, well, I wouldn't I mean, call there's that definitely settling. people. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's definitely people, you know, that you're more excited to meet for sure, and it's kind of a big deal for sure. <laughs> well, uh, I would be starstruck to meet Eddie Murphy, <laughs> so that's a pretty good answer. Um, yeah, and he was in his. It's prime back then, prime, too. Yeah. So. He was a big deal. Yeah. Here's making a comeback. I, I hope it's true. So we'll see. I hope so, too. <laughs> yeah. So last of our of our quick fire questions, uh, who is your favorite character to draw? Um, I'm going to have to say Mushu, uh, um, even though I kind of like having people request other characters. Um, but uh, I know him the best, and he, he's definitely got a really you know strong place in my heart. So I... I guess, you know, I, I feel a kinship to him that I don't with almost every other character. That makes sense. Yep. Very attached. I would Sweet. be too. <laughs> awesome. Well, those were, that's, that's what we got. Uh, interviews over. No, just no, kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> um, <Right>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we've actually, yeah. So we've, we've, uh, we'd love to just kind of hear about a bunch of different things in regards to your journey as an animator and some movies that you've worked on and, so I guess we'll just get started with where you got started and 
as a, as a kid, like maybe when did you first know you wanted to be an animator? And maybe talk a little bit about the process then of of learning at Cal Arts from some of those legends. Yeah. Well, um, I'll try and give you a slightly condensed version of this, but um, uh, uh, I have a twin brother, and we his name's Tony, and we grew up drawing together all the time. So we discovered we liked to draw at a pretty early age when when like I, I remember uh, drawing a squirrel, and uh, um, and I was copying it from a book or something. And like a couple girls came by and were watching me, and I noticed that they, they like draw. And and at that po- time of my, I was young, but I was not so young that having girls watch me draw was not really cool to me. <laughs> and so I thought back in that early early stage, I probably thought you know, oh, being an artist might get me girls, and that didn't work out really mm. later on in life. But I did kind of sensing even beyond girls, just people going, Oh, you know, you know how it is when you're, when you're good at something, when you're young and it's sort of, you start to stick out. I think that a lot of people go, okay, that could this be a career and all that. And anyway, I just stuck with it. And both my brother and I did, and we competed with each other quite a bit. And, and then finally some stop motion animation in, in uh, just out of high school. And it was with a friend of ours. His name's Eric Stefani. And, um, we met him in junior college. He's by the way, Gwen Stefani's brother. And oh, so okay. he, uh, yeah, so we used to make, we were close friends with the Stefanis uh, when we were just out of high school and junior college, and they were just starting No Doubt. And Eric was in the band, by the way. Okay. Um, he, he left right as the first album came out, and they went, he was sort of like the fifth Beatle. He, he <laughs> dropped out a little too soon. But wrote a lot of those songs off uh, Tragic Kingdom, their first album. Oh. And so he's, he's set up. But anyway, the, uh, we both, uh, my twin brother and I and Eric, we, we just sort of were in love with, became really close friends because we just loved cartooning and drawing and we just get together at, you know, this is pre-coffee shops and an IHOP or wherever and, and we would just, you know, draw together and things like that over breakfast cereals and, and uh, pancakes. And so that was just like a blast. and us doing the stop motion animated thing it was actually for a church youth group we were doing like uh music videos christian music was just becoming big at the time with amy grant michael w smith and even best of all steve taylor we were huge steve taylor fans in high school and uh so we did a music video to one of steve taylor's uh songs and it was called lifeboat and we did uh little clay animated characters and stuff and um uh, anyway, that seeing that film, because this was film, uh, and off a Super 8 camera, just doing one frame at a time, seeing the film come back and seeing it move really bad. I mean, if you look at it now, right, it's it's really crude movement. But at the time, it was just like, oh, my gosh, we've created life. This is amazing. And then we kind of stumbled into going, well, wait, we already like to draw. Why not do pencil animation, hand-drawn animation rather than stop motion? And then we did some research, found out CalArts was just down in L.A. area. And once we realized school, it's like the number one school in the world at the time, especially it was one of the only ones that taught animation uh, was CalArts. And we we put in for we just put all of our efforts into that. And so within about a year of that time, we, we got accepted into CalArts. And uh, and that led into us after a year and a half getting into uh, a Disney internship. Hmm. And that was writing Little Mermaid. So about 1988, I think, the very end of 88, we got into a Disney internship for nine weeks. 
And then the, we got both of us got accepted out of the internship and get got the jobs. And the job was specific to move to Florida. They were just starting up the new studio in Florida at Disney MGM Studios. So I was there May 1st, 1989, back when that studio or that theme park actually mm-hmm. both opened uh, that day. And so we were the crew for that that theme park, but also for the new studio that was there. And then from there, it was just making parts of, you know, uh, the feature films because Florida was a smaller studio, but we got to do a proportionate amount of the films. So Beauty and the Beast and Lion King, Aladdin, Pocahontas, and then all the way up to Milan. And Milan was our very first feature we did out of Florida from beginning to end, from storyboarding all the way to the end. And then the three, two more were done there, uh, uh, Lilo and Brother were, uh, so those three were completely done in Florida. The other ones before that, we were just doing a proportionate amount of the film. Yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a great career, about twelve years long, and uh, that's as best as I can condense it. But yeah, the <laughs> little, little kid and, and just loved drawing because it, I thought it got me girls, and then that went into <laughs> finding out about color arts and animation, and then just that passion that I had for it. I still do still love to animate. Um, it's still hard. But it's also fun and challenging at the same time. Yeah. Nice. And and Tony was in California, the California studio in Glendale for most of that time, correct? For most of it, yeah. We both moved out to Florida that very first year back in 1989. Uh, so he was there for the first year of that studio in Florida. And then he was going to get married and they had a job opportunity in California studios. So he moved back the first year. So most of his career was out of the California studio. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, so... Yeah. Uh, you you guys didn't get to get to work together that much on on some of these films then. Not as much, but it was weird. I mean, we were doing parts of the film still, right? So, uh, like I did Young Simba and Lion King, and Tony was the supervisor of Pumbaa, and so we did animate sequences together. We literally just meld drawings, specs of drawings, and that was how we did it back in the day. Now nowadays it's digital; you don't have to do it mm-hmm. that way. But back then. Like this is pre Skype even, you know, like like getting we did video conferencing with the directors from but they said it was like thousands of dollars a minute. It they spent oh, so wow. much on video conferencing that it's all now free. Yeah. All the same technology, completely free. But back then that was a line item uh, in Lion King. Wow. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's crazy. You started with in eighty nine and I uh, I kinda went through your IMDB page a little bit. And saw you started with doing some stuff for was it the Roller Coaster Rabbit, uh, and then yeah, yeah, so Roller Coaster Rabbit was my first short at Disney. And then from there, you you went on to help with with Rescuers Down Under, which I personally think is a very underrated film. You agree with me? Too. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. It's it's a it's got great soundtrack. They say that that's one of the most rare Disney soundtracks to find on on CD. Hmm. Uh, hmm. Bruce Broughton did it. And uh, it's uh, a lot of people that are really into um, soundtracks, movie soundtracks, say that that's like one of their favorites. But it's really rare, hard to find. That yeah, that that movie I think doesn't get nearly enough love, and it's one of the first times that Disney animation used 3D, right, for the opening kind of pan, correct? Yeah, it did. Um, and I'm trying to remember. It wasn't the first. It was one of the first, okay. but it wasn't the first. Um, they It goes all the way back to Great Mouse Detective was mm-hmm. the very first, that they had some computer animation. I don't know if you remember of Basil and Ratigan uh, fight. The clockworks, the yeah. Clocks. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, soon after that, and I don't think there was there was some in Little Mermaid too, which is oh, that's after mm. Rescuers Done. No, no, that's no, pre. That's, that's before. One year before. Yeah. yeah. The boat, I think, was CG animation. So, like that, I guess leads us into the next question of like with with animation, like always changing from that like at least while you were with Disney especially and still now especially then it was making that move to more and more computer and less and less hand drawn how was the how was adjusting from project to project like what did you always find yourself still drawing in the same way and then everybody else was working around it or or how did that work for you yeah most of my career at Disney it, it didn't really change. We, the one piece that changed, um, and they did bring in more CG animation, and that kind of became a little bit more bigger and a little bit more, more important parts of films, you know, like the Stampede and the Lion King of all the wildebeests and stuff. Because before that, they were only using computers for, like, mechanical things, like the, the clocks and the boat and Little Mermaid and, you know, um, or camera moves and things like that through, you know, environments. Um, but then they started kind of going with the wildebeest. They're like, those were characters. They more, more, you know, had to move realistically and have, uh, uh, you know, some movement that didn't feel like stiff and, and hard. And so, uh, that, that got bigger and bigger, of course, until it swallowed up 2d, <laughs> but, uh, with toy story and everything else. But, uh, but before that, it was like the the biggest transition. It was actually very much at the beginning. So like Little Mermaid was the last film that they hand painted on cells, and so the very first place where the drawings were affected by computers was in the ink and paint department. They uh, they switched over to the CAP system, which was their proprietary software, which is basically again Photoshop. <laughs> but back then, that was pre pre Photoshop, and so. It was it was amazing. They had Caps computer aided paint system, and what they would do is they would just scan in the drawings, just like you would at home now. But it was like huge scanners, and it was like very clunky and expensive, and and these huge computers and stuff like that. And so then they would have them all digitized, and they would be able to paint them in, in the computer. And so that happened on Rescuers Down Under. That was our first film um, where we did that. And so I do remember we were like, we were trying to discover what pencils showed up well. And they had to hold, you know, they had to kind of reinvent how they scan things and stuff. And, um, and so that, that was a little bit of a technology change, but it was pretty low tech technology, I'd say. Um, But, and then from there, once they figured that out, you know, really no change in our work process uh, until the computers took over. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Moving on to uh, 91 was Aladdin, right? And that's my, like, favorite movie, favorite Disney movie of all time. Uh, I watched every single one last year again. I had already seen them, but I wanted to, like, rank them all officially. (laughs) (laughs) And Aladdin ended up number one. But I wanted to ask, actually, because I just watched uh, DuckTales Legend of the Lost Lamp for the first time recently from Disney Toon. And... Mm. I noticed that came out a year before Aladdin and had a genie in it and has a lot of the same kind of properties that the genie in Aladdin actually ends up having. So I just thought it was, I never could find anything online about this. So I thought I'd ask you if you knew if any of the inspiration for the genie could have possibly came from Legend of the Lost Lamp. Uh, I don't know, but I, I would highly <laughs> doubt it. Okay. Uh, I mean, I know a little bit of the, you know, the how the genie in, in 
Aladdin kind of evolved, and uh, you know, there was never any Ducktales mention in okay. any meetings. I didn't okay. know that, so I'm I just kind... thought that would be a weird kind of thing if that ended yes. up being the case. <laughs> it would. I'll give you this if you want a little Aladdin trivia. There's one uh, gag in there that almost nobody gets, um, and it's it's not really even a gag gag. It's sort of more of an homage. But um, at the very end, where um, the genie gets dressed up um, as if he's going to go on vacation, he's mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm out of here. And he's packing his bags and he's got a Hawaiian shirt on. Remember that? It's this yellow kind yeah, of Hawaiian I shirt. Do. And he's got um, the goofy hat on. Goofy hat. Okay. That is a is a, an homage to Robin Williams in the uh, opening uh, uh, film out of the Florida studio, out of the, well, Disney MGM studios. Remember there was a tour there and it was hosted by Robin Williams. They shot that pre Aladdin. This was before they Uh. even got him for Aladdin. And so it was Disney's first time working with Robin Williams was that show. And it was him. And they do, they actually make him into a cartoon character. He becomes like one of the little lost boys. Cause there's a whole, uh, they do kind of a behind the scenes of, uh, Peter Pan, they actually make Robin magically. And Walter Cronkite is in it. He's co-hosting it with Robin Williams, which is kind of an amazing thing to see those two together. Yeah. Uh, anyway, at one point, he Robin is dressed as a tourist, and he has that exact same Hawaiian yellow with flowers on it uh, shirt and a goofy hat. And so Eric Goldberg, when he animated that scene of him going on vacation to Florida, assumedly, um, he put him in the same outfit as kind of like because it looked like in that. Because that, they were made pretty close to the same time that video was was pretty new wow that is that's wild that is wild yeah who would have thunk it i have not seen the film get that one i need to 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 try to find that yeah i'm sure if you google searches robin williams uh, back to neverland i think is what they called it at the time all that became that became the name of name of the peter pan sequel i think yeah return to neverland that they made later on yeah Maybe this one's called Back to Neverland. I can't remember, but it's gotta um, be on Disney Plus, right? Everything is supposed to be there. That's what I'm paying for, at least. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's not yet. They, okay. I guess they're slowly rolling it all out. They, okay. they got a lot left. Yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. I'm paying for. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that is a neat fun fact that I would never have heard except for from you or someone else that worked in that studio, probably. Yeah. Uh, one thing I actually heard on your podcast, which I love, by the way, the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast, highly recommend for anybody listening that may be interested in that kind of Thank you. animation content. But you mentioned in that, I don't know if it was you or Tony was talking about how um, the Lion King and Pocahontas, when they were being made at like the same time that Pocahontas, at least in the eyes of Jeffrey Katzenberg, was the home run, right? And the Lion oh, King yeah. was like the B team, I think he's one of you guys said. Um, yeah, no, it was, yeah. So I'm just interested, like, when did you, the animator, know, like, you worked on both, right? And when did you know that the Lion King was actually the masterpiece of the two? It's funny you say that. Um, I'm one of the few, and I think it was because we got a small piece of Lion King and we were able to finish that up and then they were in a crunch on Pocahontas or it was like midway into Pocahontas still. I think they were, it was behind or something. And so we ended up getting Pocahontas also. And so a lot of people in California, there's very few people that worked on both, but in Florida we were able to work on both. Um, and I did young Simba and Lion King, but then I animated Pocahontas and Pocahontas. 
So I was kind of wrapped up in just trying to learn. In both cases, I was doing like the star character, and so it was like a big deal to me. And I, I and there was a lot of pressure to uh, to go with both those characters, um, one better than the other. I, I certainly know that Lion King was a lot more enjoyable. Everybody working on Lion King was having a lot more fun. Mm. It was um, there wasn't as much pressure, obviously, from the upper management because again, they kind of thought, oh, it's not going to be that great. It'll you know it'll be a first base. You know, it won't be a home run, and but Pocahontas, that's going to be the one that we pull out all the stops. I mean, you know what I mean? And so there was more pressure, I think, with Pocahontas. Pocahontas' style was, was very realistic, too. And mm. we were rotoscoping over live action a wow. lot, too. And that was technically not very fun. Um, you know, while with the lions, you know, we couldn't have them do the things that we were having them do. They don't talk. They don't walk around or dance or do any of the things that we needed them to do. So we had it all up. And so... There was a lot of research, um, and that was hard enough. But once we kind of all got into it and got more used to that, um, it was just fun. It was just the characters were amazing and great, and the dialogue was funny, and you know, and there was a tearjerker side to it. So yeah, the, and because Lion King was ahead of Pocahontas, I think we knew sooner that Lion King. Wait, wait a second, this thing's kind of coming out pretty good. And then we heard this Elton John song come out of the blue, and we're mm. like. Wait a second. This is pretty strong, and but the but the, I will say this. It's all back into an actual answer. Sorry. <laughs> no worries. The the moment we knew we had a hit was the very first trailer, hmm. and if you remember right, Disney did something really crazy for the first time ever. They just released the opening sequence of the film as the trailer, mm. so it was like oh, ah, yeah. right, and all the animals looking up, and. They had never done that. It was always like, hey, and here's Zany Timon, and here's the little Pumbaa, and you're going to love Coming Simba. this summer. <laughs> yeah, right. It was that. It was like telling the whole story and packaging it and making, you know, and having a lot of funny stuff in there and maybe a little scary Jafar or whatever, whoever it is, Scar in this case. And so, but telling kind of the whole story. And they didn't do that. They just mm. pulled back and they said, you know what, we're just going to release. Because that was the very first stuff that got animated was that opening sequence. So we had the whole thing in color, which is pretty mm. rare. And we were, we're always behind. Every film is behind because of the story <laughs> changes and stuff. So it's rare that we have even one sequence all in color. So in this case, though, that sequence got boarded very early on, never changed. And then they added in this great, you know, African music or we'll say, you know, African influenced at least. Uh, with uh, Keb Kebmo, I think it was his name, and you know, based on a, I think that one wasn't Elton John, if I remember right. Yeah, uh-huh. I don't think he wrote that one. Um, but anyway, so rather than playing up Elton John, playing up and one of his songs, and then you know, because he came in kind of late, Elton John did, so mm. we didn't have a lot of that. His songs were kind of added in, uh, sort of halfway in, so. Anyway, when we saw that opening trailer all cut to cut together with that really strong thing, and it ends on a beat, boom! Remember that? At oh yeah, the very end. Oh yeah. Sorry, I just blew up your speakers, <laughs> but it was just like everybody was. And I, I went to the movie theaters where they, and I can't remember what movie it was playing before, but where they were showing that trailer, I remember going, and people would stand up and applaud after a trailer. That had never happened before. Wow. And so we started still like wrapping up the film or, or just finished and that trailer was coming out and we're going, Oh my gosh, these people love this trailer as much as, you know, we're hoping they love the movie. And uh yeah, it was we got tingles right off the bat <laughs> nice. with that. 
I've, I've never yeah. seen anyone and that stand that rarely happened. I've never seen that for a trailer. No, me either. <laughs> the only other moment I had like that in my career was Beating the Beast, which was hmm. where, again, another movie that nobody thought was going to be that great. Hmm. It, halfway through the making of that movie in storyboard um, and with a, a little bit of animation, it didn't look good. Uh, it wasn't funny it wasn't uh you know the story just didn't get you at all mm. even halfway into making the movie it was all like 11th hour that that thing came together and was really amazing mm-hmm. and but i remember we were again still kind of just finishing it or had just finished it and the very first thing i saw and i think it was yeah it was even before a trailer was out they released the uh music video celine dion right and they were singing the was it the mrs pot song no yeah. it was uh I think so. Beauty and the Beast, the uh, with uh, Angela it's, it's Beauty and the yeah. Beast, yeah. yeah, yeah. Beauty and the Beast, yeah. yeah. So it was that one, and uh, and nobody knew who Celine Dion was for yeah. one, and I I knew who Pebo Bryson was. I liked him. Yeah, so I was like <laughs> Celine Dion. Who's this? Yeah, and so anyway, she's amazing, and oh, yeah. so the song is amazing. They kind of lifted it up to this whole nother level, and so it's just cool to watch it. But I remember seeing that music video and going. Oh wait, this could be huge because this is the this tempo that they're hitting with this song, and then seeing the animation in there and the relationship of Belle and Bees because they had just enough clips in that music video to show their relationship. Then I was like, oh, okay, okay, this might actually be huge. And and sure enough, you know, obviously it took off. Oh yeah, it's wow. spectacular. It's, it's great. One of my but we honestly so- never know. We never know until they come out. You know, a lot of the movies that we think are going to be good, they kind of aren't maybe, or they don't, you know, because we're into whatever our part of that film is. Mm -hmm. A lot of times it's, for an animator, it's a character. You know, okay, I'm doing Young Simba. I think he's great. I don't know what the movie's like, but we'll see. You know, but, you know, you have to wait for the audience to kind of decide. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. I guess with Pocahontas, uh, (laughs) that one, I mean... It's it's definitely got like some some parts of uh, of it that are iconic and it's got its its fan base, but it definitely wasn't nearly as successful as uh, I mean the ones that came right before yeah. it. I killed to listen to Colors of the Wind. Well, you can anytime you want. Yeah, I know it is the the music is, is really good. That's what the thing I think people remember with Pocahontas. There's still some amazing songs in there. Yeah. Now Jeffrey uh, Katzenberg left. In the before that came out, right, kind of in the middle of production of Pocahontas, did that yeah. have did that have any effect on uh, maybe how the story went? Because I know he had a huge influence on some of the stories during that time. No, because you know we really were kind of again. I think it was about midway through Pocahontas that he left, and it was a big shakeup, and especially on the management side. But as far as us getting that movie done, it really almost had no effect because. All of the early stuff, the development and the scripts and things like that, and even deciding what actors are going to play what and what musicians are going to come in or what, you know, songwriters. That's where a Jeffrey kind of has involvement, like the executives, where they're going to influence that and kind of give the final say. But once all that's kind of in place, just a lot of people trying to get the movie done. And it is massaging and changing a little bit at, at times, but about halfway in better be pretty solid and we just are getting it done and if, that's what i remember is when he left we were more in get it done mode so not a lot of changes kind of gonna happen probably and so no i don't think it really changed anything it did affect like the next film like i remember being on mulan and by then he you know he took a little time and decided what his next play was and 
uh, within, I don't know, a year or so, we discovered he was starting a whole new company with Steven Spielberg and David Geffen and DreamWorks. And that's when it really affected things. Is is and I by then I was already at the very beginning of Mulan, if I remember right, because uh, I was already cast on Mushu, and uh, I got a call from Jeffrey, and he's like, "Hey, you want to come over and work for me? And you know, <laughs> we'll make this movie, Prince of the Popper." And he literally flew out to Florida and met with some key people at, at the Florida studio. And I know he did, uh, you know, he did one on ones with many people in California, and. Uh, and he, he snuck in and, and got a hotel at Disney World and would have people come to his hotel. And I, I did. I took the <laughs> meeting. And uh, he showed me the opening sequence of uh, that was all storyboard still uh, from Prince of the Popper and said, you know, we'd love to have you on Prince of the Popper. But I'm like, I'm supervising Mushu. This is like the most amazing character of my career. And, and he already had his all cast. He already had all his supervising animators. So mm-hmm. it was like, you don't really have a great spot that would equal that on Prince of the Popper. I mean, Prince of Popper, Prince of Egypt, Prince of Egypt. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah. So, uh, anyway, I stuck where I was and I was, I'm glad I did. Well, before we get into more Mushu, um, I did want to ask another kind of, uh, out there question. Um, out there. <laughs> so you, you left in 2000 from the Florida studio and you had already worked on yeah. Bro- brother bear a little bit, right? And that came out. No, no, no. That was that was when I came back. Oh, so okay. So Brother Bear was like 2002 ish, I think. Okay. Uh, I think it came out because uh, it was after Lilo and Stitch. I left right at the beginning of uh, of Lilo and Stitch. Okay. Okay. They were just. As a matter of fact, I was going to be a supervising animator on Lilo and Stitch, mm. and I had to give it up. Go to Chicago to work with Big Idea Productions. Okay. And by the time I came back after two and a half years, it had already been finished and come out. Um, yeah. So you worked on Took for Brother Bear, one of the one of my favorite characters. I actually was looking at your uh, your animation reel on YouTube and saw that one of the clips on there was there when they're doing I Spy and I Spy uh, yeah. Tree. <laughs> I just I just love that I, yeah. that clip so much. But uh, so after that was done, pretty much that was the end at the Florida studio. Did they? It was home on the range. Was yeah. that through Florida as well, or no? That was California. Okay, and and they had another project planned, correct? Did you have any part in the, did. the a few good ghosts that I've heard I about? I didn't. Yeah, no, I didn't. I wanted to. I mean, I really wanted to stay after coming back. Big Idea Production had gone bankrupt, and I got laid off about after about two and a half years there. And later on, they got bought by Classic Media, and they got bought by ironically DreamWorks. But um, anyway, when they did shut that down, pretty much, I ended up coming back to Florida because they needed help on Brother Bear. And they're about, it was like just toward the end of production. And so they were in a crunch and didn't have enough animators. And so I did Rut and Took, uh, worked on that. But uh, but it was only for that short amount of time. Like the, my agreement with them was only for that film. Mm. And so I was during that time going, Hey, you sure you don't want me on the next film? And you know, (laughs) a few good ghosts and stuff, which they were just starting to ramp up on. Um, and the plan was, was that everybody was going to come off of, uh, of brother bear, go right on to training for a good, a few good ghosts. And that was what that meant was that was scheduled to be a 2d and CG film. So, Mm -hmm. and they were still debating on how much CG, but they were looking at like doing half and half, like a real hybrid film. And it would have been, pretty cool i mean that everything about that movie was looking really good actually 
but um but for some reason they were really tight on the hiring for it they were like no okay you know me why why can't i get in on this next film and they were like no no, no we're on a hiring freeze and won't let us and Little did I know that within a year that they shut down the studio. So a lot of those people did come off Brother Bear and get trained and, and did CG animation training for almost a year and did started working on the very beginning of production for that film. And a lot of it was storyboarded, they, almost all of it. Um, and then they pulled the plug. I, I had already left, though. I had already finished Brother Bear and on that production or any of the training. And so I'd started my own company, uh, Funny Pages Productions, uh, during that about that year or so that they were kind of starting production on the next film. So hmm. it just didn't work out. And I'm glad it didn't. And, but at the time, as with everything, it didn't make sense. I'm hmm. like, why can't, you know, I want to work on it. Can I work on it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was the mumbling that that was like the end of 2d when that happened? Um, yeah, there was already mumbling definitely about the, what happened with 2D is I think nobody we could see it slowly dying but then all of a sudden it sped up like all of a sudden it just was gone mm. and like we all thought well there's always going to be like Disney will never leave 2D animation that's that's what Walt started way back when the whole company's built on it there's no reason for them to turn away from it just add in some CG films too you can do both and it just seemed like that's what was going to happen and then they just decided on a dime and so did uh you know uh around that time uh, dreamworks too yeah. uh like the whole industry just decided oh no no that's over we're gonna go full-on cg and just lay everybody off mm-hmm. and it wasn't just disney it was dreamworks too all within a few months practically not even years and so yeah it it was that's what took everybody by surprise was that okay we saw that it was it was trickling, it was slowing down, and there would probably be, you know, half as much work maybe. Mm-hmm. But then it just became like no work wow. because they just all shut it off completely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess we should move on to a little more bright and exciting question uh, than with Mushu. Uh, I okay, just, Perry, we're, let's talk about Mushu. Yeah, let's talk about Mushu. I want to talk about Mushu. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mushu. <laughs> so I'm sure you do too. So I, I was curious. When you created, did you created the the look? How how what, what was different in that process of being the the supervising animator and character designer from any of the other jobs that you had you know, roles you had had? It's a it is a bigger role. So being a supervising animator, at least in the old days with two D animation, what that meant was that you were kind of you had to be the one that knew how to draw the character that goes into the film. Sarah, you designed him or her, whatever that character was, because there's other artists that come in, character designers and other, you know, inspirations and even storyboard artists that do their versions of the characters. Um, but then it's kind of handed over to, and, and it's all different degrees. So a supervisor will get a, a character that sometimes it's like, hey, this is 90% there. We just need you to do model sheets and kind of finesse a few things and how you draw the nose, whatever, like little tiny things. Other times it's like, and in my case, I'll, I'll just say for me, Mushu, there were a bunch of different influences and and artists and things that had done their version of Mushu, and the, but the directors really still did not have Mushu. They, so I did Blue Sky, meaning I went all the way to the beginning and said, well, what if we did this? I did some that were in Dr. Seuss influenced. I did some that were like just radically different. They were always a skinny dragon because that was kind of their built, and he was always small. It was all built into the script from the beginning. 
but his design, I was not only just the finalizer of it, I can actually say I did design him because wow. I, I took him from beginning to end. There were other influences for sure, but I but I can go, well, I like how the directors could go, well, I like how this person is drawing the body or I like how this one, this face looks kind of neat. But I kind of went all around that and then came back to some things and whatever, but in the end did all the model sheets and all that. And so as a supervising animator, that's your job is to be sort of the, um, the carrier of, you know, not just who that character is, but also what he looks like in in this case, you know, having to, so I, I had other animators animating Mushu, but I had to oversee their work too and approve it not only from an animation standpoint, but acting standpoint and then drawing standpoint mm-hmm. too. I had to go drawing and then the cleanup people that were cleaning up everything. So it, it was really a quite a, it was a small army of people that you had to kind of oversee on top of getting out footage of your own, mm. you know, or animation of your own. And usually key animation, like they expect the supervisor to do the most footage of that character. So it's a, it becomes a big job. Yeah. You mentioned acting that you're overseeing kind of the, I imagine working with Eddie Murphy as the voice actor, probably, I imagine Eddie Murphy would be riffing and, and improvising. And did that happen a lot? And did that change some of the, the way things were drawn? Yeah, a lot of people think that with Eddie, and, and it's not really true. Uh, Robin, it was. Robin Williams. Okay. They couldn't stop him from doing five different <laughs> versions. A new gag or a new ver- way of saying that line. And with Eddie, it was like he'd give you probably like three, but it would be the same line. He wouldn't. He would rarely add to it. Sometimes he would, but it was pretty rare. Mostly he would give you kind of what was in the script and just give it to you three or four different ways. There was a point after after that that he just stopped. You know, like they go, well, can you give us one more, like where he feels, and he would just do it the exact same way over and over again. He just, you could tell he just had he wasn't uh, either didn't agree or he didn't have anything else in him, and he just wanted to be done. And so he was a pro. There's no doubt about it. But he uh, he just, you know, he wasn't in. I think in love with making the movie as some of the other actors have in the past mm. where they were like, Oh, this is, you know, I think to him, he was just doing it as a favor. And, mm. you know, he was, uh, we, he was hard to get. He traveled a lot during that time and, uh, he would cancel all the time on the recording sessions. <laughs> I remember I went, I flew out to California to be a part of a, uh, of a, a recording session. And by the time I landed, uh, Oh, he dead with his family. And so, sorry. And so I was sort of, I just stayed in California for a week working out of the studio there, but I didn't need to be there. I went out for no reason, you know? And Mm. so he just would cancel. So, yeah, I mean, he was a pro. There's no doubt about it. And he knew how to, how to do Eddie Murphy for sure. (laughs) And that's what we wanted ultimately. But yeah, I always say that acting wise, his voice coming out of there. And a lot of people kind of get confused by, seeing a character and going that looks just like eddie murphy like i look at mushu and i don't see eddie murphy in the design at all like i and i actually did design mushu before we knew eddie was going to do the voice so mm. i just tweaked it a little bit but mostly the posing and expressions take on the eddie murphy isms doesn't look like eddie murphy but people look at him and go oh that's eddie murphy it looks so much like him no it doesn't look anything like him <laughs> but the acting and, you know, I mean, think about it. There's nothing about Mushu that looks like Eddie, but people will say that. And and uh, but on the acting side, I always say that really it's Eddie. If Eddie Murphy and me had a little dragon baby, that would be Mushu, <laughs> because it's a lot of me in there too. And uh, 
uh, I did look a lot at a lot of films. I watched Trading Places and 48 Hours and, you know, um, Beverly Hills Cop and became kind of a, a Eddie Murphy file uh, and and tried to put his in, his expressions in there and things like that. But um, a lot of the stuff I really wanted to do, I didn't get the opportunity because he didn't really have a chance to just stand there and do a stand-up, right? Like where he bulges eyes or something like that, like I always wanted to do. But um, most of the time he had to say these lines that were just in the script, right? He yeah. had to kind of keep the story moving. And so we didn't always get uh, all the little Eddie Murphyisms that we would have liked to have gotten in there. But um, anyway, <laughs> he's... Uh, He's a little bit of me too, for sure. <laughs> that's quite the that's quite the line. Uh, <laughs> the if you and Eddie Murphy had a baby, baby uh, dragon, baby dragon. All right, a baby dragon. <laughs> sure. Yeah. All right. I I'd, love say, it. I'd say that turned out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it worked out. It worked out. I know. Um, regardless of how how maybe tough he was to to work with or to to get to um, the studio for recording sessions, it did work out, and the movie is excellent. It is. It is. <laughs> Uh, how do you feel about the the upcoming release of the the new Mulan movie? Oh, pretty good. Tony and I talk about this a lot in that we, we both get a lot of questions about it, right? Yeah, yeah. One, because oh, I did Mushu, but then Tony, he co-directed the original Mulan, the OG. Yeah. And um, I think we equally get a ton of uh, sort of fan mail with those questions. Um, and both of us have talked about it separately. We came up with a viewpoint, which was, we like it. I mean, like the mm-hmm. trailer I've seen, it looks great. I actually like a lot that they're going more serious with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how this Phoenix character fits in it, but um, I doubt it's like a funny character. I have a feeling right. it's more of a serious character. And so I, I really do like it. Like to me, the heart of Mulan isn't Mushu. Right. Uh, and, and I know this is sacrilege to say this and <laughs> a lot of people won't agree. Uh, I've heard, I've seen so many people go on and on about how you can't cut Mushu out. You don't have a story and all that, and and that's really not true. <laughs> the the original poem that it's it's uh, based off of uh, Disney's Mulan didn't have a, a Mushu dragon in it. We added that. So if you go back to the original source, which is kind of what they're doing with the the live action, from mm-hmm. what I've heard, is it's just a serious story about a girl saving her family by and especially her dad who is going to go off to war and will surely die because of his age and his injuries and so she disguises herself and hopefully bring honor to her family and uh, the saving china just happens you know Um, but she's really at the core she's she's trying to honor her family and save her dad Um, and in the end you know dishonors her family but saves all of china Dishonor on you, dishonor on you, Cal. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited, too. I think uh, I, I totally agree with you that I don't think Mushu is the, the heart and soul. But we'll miss him. But we'll still miss him, yeah. It's it's the thing, though, that if, like, Mushu's definitely the sidekick, and if they took Mushu and made a full movie out of him, it probably wouldn't work because that's how Cars 2 didn't work, and that's how Minions movie doesn't work. But still, you know, it's yeah. going to be, he'll be missed still. Yeah. I do have a pitch for a Mushu and Cricky TV series. Okay. Uh, oh. Animated series. And I think it would be awesome. Disney Plus. They're, they're making all kinds because of stuff. They, yeah, I know. I got to get it out there. I got to pitch it. We we will back you 100%. Yeah. If our vote counted for anything. Oh, well, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I might need that. <laughs> 
so now what what are you working on these days? I know you I've you've mentioned on your podcast Pencil Test the documentary you're working on. Explain maybe a little bit yeah, about that. Yeah, I, I kind of I, I tell people right now now I have about three um, and uh, and it feels great although th- all three of them are pretty big uh, so one of them is I'm a I started the animation program here at Lipscomb University in Nashville uh, five years ago and so I'm the head of that I helped develop it um, and then also kind of oversee you know the whole thing and then teach on top of that so I usually have three to four classes I'm teaching throughout the week um, and that so that's full time, but I try and count it as part time because then my other part time job is doing freelance within the and that can go from uh, last month doing character designs for a DreamWorks TV series uh, that like a preschool preschool show mm. uh, that they were trying to launch and then immediately on to right now I'm doing 2D animation for a, a feature film I can't talk about, but mm. it's for one of the major studios. And uh, so that's another part time job. And the third one is Pencil Test. So Pencil Test is a documentary that I'm producing and I'm really proud of, really happy about it. And uh, we're just finalizing our our sort of finishing funds investment uh, paperwork. And that'll hopefully get us going back to full steam ahead. Um, And I'm I'm the producer of it. But what it is 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 basically interviewing uh, and adding, and we're going to add a little bit of animation. We have Ming-Na Wen doing narration for it, the voice of Mulan. That's awesome. And uh, and what it's going to be is just a, a kind of a celebration of 2D animation. And we do talk about the fall with, with CG animation kind of coming in and kind of crushing it. And, but we want to have a hopeful ending to it, which is how it's still living, mm-hmm. you know, that it's still alive. We have things like Klaus yeah, coming out. Klaus was amazing. Yeah. We just interviewed Sergio, the director of that, um, and uh, so that'll hopefully be toward the end of the film. And yeah, it's just about like what what was that passion that started within my generation? Really, it's the '90s and the 2000s that we're mostly talking about. That um, because there's been the 9/11, right? And but you don't hear a lot about that second golden age that happened during the '90s and 2000s, especially at Disney, but even at other studios. Um, during that time, it was just a boom that, uh, and it was the passion that, that started within all those people that, that like Glenn Keane, who created Beast and Ariel and things like that. And so what, you know, what started that passion and how is that flame continue on with the next generation? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm, that sounds like, uh, something that I'll be looking for as soon as it comes out. Now, what's the timeline? Is that something that's going to be any, in the next year, two years? What's, what's the timeline looking like for it? Um, we have i am going to say next year okay. hopefully within the next year or you know come out in uh 2021 i'm hoping um and so we need to make a distribu- distribution deal we haven't done that yet um but we really kind of that's the hard thing about documentaries is that you kind of almost have to have it done before you can even show anybody because it's not like there's a script and storyboards and all that in most cases you're you're kind of making your film in the editorial room and so we have a 10 minute short version, which, but again, doesn't really show off. It, it, I think it celebrates what, it, what it's going to feel like, but it's not, it doesn't include a whole lot of stuff. It really only has five interviews in it out of the 20 that we have. So um, anyway, we, I feel like we need to get a little bit further along before we can really be seeking distribution. When you mentioned on your, uh, your podcast about the, 
upcoming project you're doing with your brother. And I know you can't say much about that, but uh, you mentioned it was 2D and live action with the major studio. To me, that screams Space Jam 2. I could be totally off, but you does it. <laughs> so really, so you can totally <laughs> denounce that as being wrong if you want. <laughs> I'm never. I'm not. What do they say? I'm not going to qualify or disqualify that statement. I don't know. Fair enough. Fair enough. That was very well phrased. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> cool. Oh Actually, uh, the last thing I do hear they're making that right now. They are with I LeBron that's in production. It's been announced. Yeah, LeBron and it's the exciting. the old. Uh, the old Looney Tunes, and I, I think they're using all the same kind of voices that they've been using for the last 30 years. Most of them are the same with uh, Bob Bergen and yeah. whatever those guys' names are. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited for that. So, anyway, before we have – we wanted to have you rank your top five top five movies you've animated for. But real quick, I actually forgot a question that I wanted to ask, <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, <laughs> they made a Disney tune, this, this – a studio that made a bunch of sequels. They made a Mulan two, and I was curious. Yeah, that's what I heard. What if you had any <laughs> role in that at all? They used Mushu. They didn't have Eddie Murphy. That didn't surprise me too much. But did you have any role in that? In no. in they call you up at all or? No, no, not at all. And uh, I'm I'm fine with that. You know, like we we had, the feature guys uh, and gals. Uh, I, we were a little snobby about the sequels. Mm. I must admit, some of them turned out pretty good. Some they had an Australian studio for a while, and they did some amazing stuff. And then uh, one of the sequels was done in Canada at a really good studio. I think that, like the Peter Pan sequel, mm-hmm. I think that was mm-hmm. back to Neverland or something, yeah. something like that. That one was that theatrical, was really well I done. Think. Yeah, and a couple of them been theatrical releases, but um, but like Mulan two was not a high-end one it was kind of one of the ones that just sort of like get it done but it's pushed out like cinderella 2 was really bad too mm-hmm. and anyway um you know it doesn't feel like the same characters to me you know and uh but no they don't they have and, and admittedly i mean i've seen how these productions work you know that they, they they had to put out a whole lot more footage than we did right they're probably doing twice as much mm-hmm. at, uh, at twice how low the budgets were and stuff like that so i mean it's unfair for me to kind of critique it, uh, you know, harshly. You know, they were killing themselves to get that out, and uh, and I, I appreciate that. I, I just, it's more from the Disney standpoint. I kind of wish they didn't go so hard into the, the sequels. I think many of them didn't really need it. And if you're going to do a sequel, do it the Pixar way. Put put some work into it, you know. Yeah. And to kind of hack out or, you know, low budget, you know, uh, your sequels is not a good idea. Yeah, good word. Yeah, very good word. Yeah, we we don't like most of those sequels, but we do like a goofy movie. A goofy movie. We, talk we about love a goofy, a goofy movie all the time on this podcast. <laughs> oh well, a goofy movie is not really a sequel. It's, no, no, it's, it's not. It's no. its own thing, right? Same studio, though. We're we're actually yeah. obsessed. We we do love that movie. But... Well, okay. In more trivia, goofy movie. I was literally at Max Goofy's house yesterday. Oh, so no, the, the voice actor, Jason Mars. Jason Mars. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I literally, he lives here in Nashville and uh, he's moving and I was helping him, you know, by, was just at his house literally yesterday, last night. So that is great guy. That is incredible. Let's move on to, yeah, we'd love to have you rank your, your top five movies that you've been able to work on. Um, Doesn't have to be Disney, but I think it probably will be. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if you need time or if you already have it in mind. 
Um, I'll try and figure it out. Um, I did work on VeggieTales too, and I worked on two of their features. Mm. Um, but no, they don't make my top five. I hate <laughs> to say it. Um, okay, just the ones I worked on. Worked on. Okay. Um, yeah. Anything you animated a a, a scene or or a, a shot for? Yeah. Well, okay. So I'll start at the top. Mulan is number one for me. Uh, Mushu and, and that whole experience, and it's a family film. On top of that, our Bancroft family, especially because. And so it really means a lot to our our family. But yeah, Mulan wins number one. Uh, I'd say number two is Lion King. Uh, I really felt like I, you know, contributed to that film doing Young Simba, and and it's uh, obviously a, a great film. Uh, three uh, would be Aladdin. Mm. I really enjoyed Aladdin. It was artistically and animation wise, it was just a blast to mm. work on that film. And I did mostly Jafar and Yago, Ooh. and a, a little bit of carpet. That's but, awesome. Uh, oh, a little bit, a little bit of a boo. One, okay, mm. scene of carpet. But um, so they were all kind of fun characters to to draw and animate. Um, that's three. So four would be. Um, I almost, I almost said Pocahontas, <laughs> um, but I guess Pocahontas. Um, and and really not because it was a lot of fun, unfortunately, more because I was working with Glenn Keane, who's mm-hmm. uh, I idolize, and he's like the number one animator I think of all time, um, and I learned so much from him. So oh, that was huge. So that was four, um, and and then five would probably be Beauty and the Beast because uh, and not. Again, because I enjoyed it, <laughs> it's actually animation-wise is my least favorite. I I was a beginning animator, and mm-hmm. so yes, that's why it, it hits number five because obviously it was a great film, and the the reward of going through doing crowd scene after crowd scene after crowd scene because that's what I got as a beginning animator uh, was it coming out and just being so proud to have done anything on it mm-hmm. uh, because I'd done Rescuers Down Under before that, so I I but it kind of came out and nothing, you know, not, not a lot of talk. Yeah. Beauty and Beast came out and it was like, ah, everybody's talking and best, screaming. Best it got the Golden nom. Globe. Yeah. Yeah. And a best nation. So yeah, that was just really cool to be a part of, you know? So yeah, that would be my top five. That's awesome. That's very nice. Can't say I disagree except for the fact that I would have, uh, I would have, Beauty and the Beast a little higher up that list, but other than that, I'm I'm right there with you. But but this isn't your list. Yeah. But this is his list. This is his list. Absolutely, it's not my list. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm not even less. I wasn't list. If you notice, so my feelings, personal ones toward them. Yeah. No, oh, yeah. yeah. So I, I understand. I understand. Well, uh, that pretty much wraps it up. Uh, thank you so much for yeah for your time. time. Big time. Thank you. And I'll be looking yeah, forward. Yeah. Good to... luck to you on your podcast. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. We're just. We're just out here. We're just out here having fun, trying to entertain, and while also learn more about the in, the industry. And I'm the I'm the big animation fan geek. Oh, he's a Disney big, he, fanboy. He's a big nerd, and uh, he's along to for the personality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Now wait, what are your subjects then? What are, yeah. what are the oh, things you Oh, I don't even hit? know. Honestly, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, that's yeah. about right. <laughs> Well, it was a lot of fun, guys. I yeah, enjoyed it. I had and a blast. It sounds like a fun podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it was, where it was can we fun... find this podcast? Oh well, this podcast can be found uh, anywhere where podcasts okay. are typically found: uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, 
uh, anything except for like YouTube. <laughs> yeah, because we're not going there yet. But uh, yeah, for yeah. for us here and for Tom Bancroft, uh, we're much appreciative that you're on here. All right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break and be right back to wrap up the episode. Holy cow, that was fun. Uh, getting to talk to such a legendary man in the animation industry, such as Tom Bancroft. Yeah, I'm surprised Perry didn't cry during that entire interview. I was crying beforehand. Got it all out, so I physically had no more tears to cry. There you go. Proof that Perry Wilson cries. Yeah. Proof. Well, uh, yeah, that was it a great was, time. It was great. It he's, was great. <laughs> he's so nice. Nice dude. Um, <laughs> Should we just start attaching good adjectives as much great as we can? Great adjectives. I mean, he gave us let me great stories. Let me get a thesaurus. I out. mean, I wonder if some of those stories, it's like, I'm never going to, I would never ever hear in my life like that That the reason Robin Williams is dressed up in a Hawaiian shirt it's because of a, is because of a, a documentary thing that he's in introducing MGM Studios. Like, come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Yeah, so, I liked when he was like, Here's something that most people won't find. I'm like, well, yeah, we won't find it. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, so so if you want to tell that story to your friends, uh, tell them the only place to get it is right here at Banter. Banter. I, I hardly, hardly know, know her. her. <laughs> All right, Wes. Well, Wes, have you been watching anything, consuming anything, listening to anything lately? Um, I've been watching some stuff. Mainly, I've been trying to watch The Clone Wars on Disney+. Plus. I'm about a season, a, half, season and a half in. I need to get into Clone Wars. Um, and I will say it's kind of whack. There's like a couple things that you have to do to pay attention. So the first little bit of it is kind of slow, not going to mm. lie. It's very much standalone episodes. But then I think, I mean, I don't know what their process was, but then I think they kind of realized, oh, wait, this could actually be good. And then they started making it a real plot. But they say, the real nerds say that Disney Plus has the episodes on in the incorrect order. Ooh, interesting. Well, they got to find a like, season. Like, like incorrect order chronologically of a timeline. Just like the movies. Sure. So I guess a lot of people recommend to watch it in the correct chronological order. So if you just Google it, it's there. So I'm currently trying to do that. I didn't know about it until like a season and a, a season and a half in. So now I'm kind of readjusting, but it's okay. Can I skip to like season three or something if I want to get into the Clone Wars? I would have to watch the whole thing first to give you a solid answer. Mm. I don't really think so because I know like some stuff that happens in the future. And it would not be as meaningful if I didn't meet certain characters now. Gotcha. So I would say no. Plus, like, they're only 20 minutes, dude. Just commit. Yeah, but that's it takes a while. Like, I, I've been watching... It's six seasons, right? The Clone Wars? Six seasons, like 20-ish episodes yeah, so, a season. Yeah, so it sounds about the same as, like, the Dragons series. How to Train Your Dragon series. Oh, okay. And I'm still getting through that. I'm in the last season. Got about seven eight ep- episodes to go. But I just, I just can't power through as fast as some people. So I'm planning on when I get done with that, I'm going to get through. I'm watching Kipo and the Age of Wonder Beasts right now, which I am loving. It's with a, his four-year-old sibling. No, nah, he wa- uh, Javon watched. He's five. And he watched, <laughs> he watched one episode with me and he actually sat through it, which I was surprised. But he hasn't watched any more since. But that's a brand new DreamWorks. DreamWorks original for Netflix. Yeah, DreamWorks television animation for Netflix. That's really cool. And I found out uh, D, D. Bradley Baker does like a bunch of different, like there's a bunch of beasts in mm-hmm. it and they're all making different sounds. D. Bradley Baker is like the most famous 
sound maker. Sound maker in Hollywood. Yeah, he makes so many sounds, and I mean, the most famous I think of that you would know is Perry the Platypus. No way. Yeah, but he makes so many sounds. He's, is is he a few things on that show? I feel like he is. Oh yeah, I'm sure he's done more. Like he's got a lot of times if he's brought into a show, he'll do a lot more than just one sound. But I think he said that with Phineas and Ferb, it was kind of funny because he said like they asked him to come in do a few. Few Perry the platypuses mm-hmm. and he, and he hasn't and he just rakes in royalty like uh, residuals. Oh my god! After that, because I think the, I don't think they've needed him to come back very much because they just so, keep the same sound. So what you're saying is I need to drop out and completely devote myself into learning to make noises. Yeah. yeah, learning to make noises and then you can get a paycheck and residual paychecks after not ha- and not have to go back in and record more. I am for that. <laughs> wow, pretty crazy. But yeah, so that show Kipo I'm really enjoying and after that I want to get into the Clone Wars. I, it's um, really good. But I also want to watch The Last Airbender at this point. Avatar The Last Airbender. Have you not watched. watched it before? Never seen it. You're seen, a scrub. Seen maybe three episodes in my life. It's probably one of the greatest cartoons. Where could I, I find it? DVD. Yikes. Maybe not. Uh, find me the DVD. It was on Amazon Prime, but I believe it is no longer on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah. Amazon Prime is lame. Yeah, this is true. This is real true. But, DVD- but I did watch Aeronauts on Amazon Prime. I've never heard of that. Cool, uh, cool new TV. Uh, TV series or TV show? No, it's a movie. New movie that uh, original movie that's just put on with Eddie Redman, Redmayne, and Jenner. So Felicity Jones. Yes. Eddie Redmayne. You mean Marius? Marius. Uh, I'm trying to think of the song that he sings. Uh, empty chairs at empty tables, where my friends will sit no more. Sing no more. Sing no more. Dang it! All right. Well, you we were fool. Well, maybe I didn't want them to sing wet. Maybe I just wanted them to sit. I want every person in the cast of Late Miss to sing. Uh, yeah. What have you been listening? Except for Russell Crowe. Oh uh, yeah. I don't know why they. Why would they put him in that? Because he's awesome but as like, an actor. Dude, it's a musical. You don't need a great actor. Be counting stars. Yeah, the worst part of that is stars is probably like one of the best. Oh, great songs song. in that film. And well, in the in the musical in general, and they put in Russell Crowe. Yeah, but the, also like but Les Mis is amazing. Maybe we should do a musicals episode sometime. I'm in. But all I could talk about is Les Mis because I don't really watch many musicals. Barry, so that's that's just watching. That's your eyes. Have you listened I to have, anything? I have listened to some stuff lately. I mean, podcasts. Obviously, uh, actually, a new podcast that I, well, it's not new, but I've started listening to it recently. Is the uh, Enchanted Ears podcast? I'm a huge Disney buff. Obviously, no. Whoa, dude! You just figured that out. I am so shocked. Yeah, you know, dropping bombs on here. Tom Bancroft's not the only one dropping insider info. I am a Disney nerd. Breaking news. You heard it here first. Heard it f- here first. All the way on episode, I don't even know what number episode 21, this is. 21, baby. That's my favorite number. Is it really? Yeah. Well, this is episode 21. Can this be my episode? Well, you do you wear 21? No, but it's my favorite. Well, you, you can't be it then. It's mine. Who wears 21? No one. I don't know. Uh, I, I guess... Uh, David what? Sh- no. Showtime did. Showtime? Okay. Primetime. Primetime. Dion? Dion Sanders. We'll just give it to Deion Sanders. Deion? We'll give it he's, to Deion. He's wild, zany, and loud like me. Sure, sure. But it's also, but, but it's also my episode. But back to this uh, Enchanted Ears. Uh, there's a lot of Disney World podcasts, but but this one I think is a, is a pretty fun one. So for for all of our fans out there uh, who listen to us because they love Disney and they expect to hear us talking about Disney related content, which is correct, we're usually doing that probably at least half the time, maybe more. I think you would probably enjoy Enchanted Ears as well because they do a great job of of talking about 
all topics related to Disney World. I think they live in Orlando, so they are frequents, and they can talk about new new rides and attractions whenever they come out. And they also do some kind of stuff like we do as well in terms of ranking things. We rank things. Did, did you know that? Have I ranked things? Uh, not to, not today. Tom ranked things. Mm, indeed. But Much quicker than we do. Yes. Yeah. He's a pro. Yes, he's a pro. All I remember is that the last, thing, last time I ranked something, they were real trilogies. <laughs> Unlike yourself. Well, well, Enchanted Ears ranks, uh, ranks things such as Alan Tudyk Disney rolls. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> we love Alan Tudyk. Yeah, I think they, so they, had, they definitely had an episode. It was Alan Tudyk ranking his, his rolls. They have like an over and underrated attractions ranking. And that's always interesting to me. Um, just, you know. how, do they, how do they feel about a goofy movie? You know, that is the question. I need to listen to all their episodes to find out how they feel about a Goofy movie. Because that is crucial to that my is satisfaction. Crucial. So maybe, yeah, go check them out. But if one of you listens to an episode and finds out they don't like, one of them doesn't like a Goofy movie. We will call them. We rebuke them. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just refer them to us yeah. and we'll have a nice peaceful conversation. And we'll show them the light. Yes, indeed. We will the show light them that the is light. The Goofy movie. Which you still need to show to your girlfriend because she is blind. To the majesty that is the Goofy movie. No, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know why. I don't understand what there's not to like. It's yeah. inconceivable. Inconceivable. Yeah, it's great. Great movie. But yeah, go listen to, go listen to Enchanted Ears if you like Disney podcasts. Anyway, yeah. Wes, anything else you want to talk about in terms of what you've been watching, listening to, whatever? No, I've been pretty bland. Typical. I'm busy, bro. Hi, how are you? Nice weather we're having. I'm oh, normal. Hi, I'm normal. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I watched The Bachelor for the first time. Really? Yeah. I, 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 so here's my, here's my, my reasoning. It's season 24 of The Bachelor. I'm like, I've never watched it. I mean, I've never wanted to. But like, I felt like I needed to, at some point to, to really understand pop culture, to see what the hype was about. Okay? Because uh-huh. like, people host watch parties. Like, people set aside like events for this. I'm like, there is some hype. And then I watched it. I'm looking at him with a very skeptical face. Um. It was hysterical. Let me just say that. Are you hooked? Um, I could. No, I'm not hooked. I I will watch it and be entertained and laugh quite a bit. But like, I'm not invested. Mm. But it was funny mm. because if you know reality TV, you know that it's, that it's fake. Who, who's your girl pick? Who's your, wait? Who's who's your pick? Which, uh, which which girl's your pick? Her name is Kelly. Kelly. They don't give them last names. <laughs> they just refer to them yeah, as. They don't need them. They're just pretty faces. They just for refer TV. to them as their first names. But if there's more than one, they'll be like Victoria P and Victoria F. Nice. And well, the reason is they don't want anybody looking them up and stalking them. Yeah, I that's guess. gotta be right. I don't know. Or I, do they? I don't know. I bet the girls want though. Like the girls would probably take all the like Instagram followers they can get though. Like, well, I mean, honestly, I I did like a little experiment to see if that if like I could just find them. So I looked up which is one of their names, and I mean, she was the first option to pop up on Instagram, and I didn't even need her last name. So I imagine everybody's searching, her yeah, and finding so, her. Well, I would say it's a train wreck of a show. It's so blatantly obvious that the producers just make stuff up. And I find it so funny. <laughs> you don't need to watch it. Yeah, well. But also, like, another thing was, like, like seeing a bunch of memes around, like, with people's names on them and, like, the, about, the, about The Bachelor. I'm like, I feel like I'm missing out by not understanding what this means. So I just also did it for that kind of experiment. Fair enough. Yep. 
I also watched uh, 1917. Yeah, you said that, you said that was amazing. Phenomenal. Like the kind of phenomenal that you have to split, split every single syllable into its own word. You mean, like, you, mean like, you mean like I do with a lot of words? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I mean, I thought that was just because you had a speaking disorder. No, I'm just dramatic. Oh, okay. That is my speaking well, disorder. 1917 is, simply put, a masterpiece in filmmaking. I had an absolute blast with it. Best movie I have seen best movie I've rated at least since Hacksaw Ridge three years ago 2016 that came out I believe and I gave that a 9.5 on my blog I gave whoa I, I gave 1917 a 9.5 out of my blog so in other words blog. Perry loves war movies it, it seems that way but I think the thing is war movies can often you can tell if a war movie is expertly made and, and a lot of times war movies like have a lot of room to be innovative and to be different to 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 do something that just larger than life you know and what 1917 did with the way they captured the story in what seemed like all one take or all there's there is one hard cut in the movie so it's not technically a one take shot but there's one hard cut so basically like it's all two takes is what it feels like and then they hide all they hide all their cuts i think they probably end up doing about eight to nine minutes from what i could guess from from where i could find the hidden cuts it looks like they do. They did the movie in about like eight minute segment okay. uh, that were one take, which is still really impressive. Mm-hmm. And then they would have like a hidden cut that you're not going to see unless you're looking for it like I was because I had read up about the type of movie it was that where like the camera would go behind a soldier and then, you know, on the other side of the soldier, it'd be look like nothing changed. But that might be a cut or it's, or the light would change as you're going from outside to inside. And that would be a cut. Yeah. So just things like that that make it seem like it's all. One, one continuous take. story. It takes place in less than 24 hours. Which, which is really cool. Really neat. I mean, in the reality of the war, of World War One, which is a war that you haven't seen a ton of movies about, World War Two is much more glamorous to make movies about. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's true. It's because they had a diva. And, <laughs> yeah, right. And, like, in, in World War One, this... this moment, this day that they take... that they capture is probably just a little blip. A little short little blip in, in the, the multiple year war. In this multiple whatever year war. It was just a tiny little piece. So if you're telling a story from a big perspective, this would seem like absolutely nothing. But the way they do it, they tell it from the perspective of you are with them. You are with our two soldiers mm-hmm. as they have this dangerous mission. And to these soldiers, now I'm, I'm definitely ranting at this point because I love this movie. These, to these soldiers, this moment, this, this 24 hour period defined their life. Like that is something they will, oh. their life will be defined. Like if you were that soldier, Wes, and you had to to undergo this mission to take the message across enemy lines to basically save 1600 men before they go, go into a trap. Yeah. That and, and all of the things he has to overcome and survive to, to make it there, mm-hmm. that would define your life as a soldier. You would always remember that day. That's why. And so they make us feel like that's, that's us. They give us that kind of scale. And I just thought, thought it was amazing. Sam Mendes is the director. Roger Deacon, maybe? I forget his name, is the cinematographer. He's done Skyfall. Sam Mendes also hmm. did Skyfall and uh, Spectre, which we don't like as much. Phenomenal movie. That's all I got to say. Go see cool. 1917. I, I would, bar none, pick it for Oscar for Best Picture this year. Not close. All right. Not close. Have not seen all of them. We'll see what happens. But uh, that's not close. And I also lost my body. Probably wouldn't pick that for the Oscar. We can talk about Oscars more 
when, when, we, get, time. when we get a little closer. When it's time. When it's time. Yeah. Last but not least, before we let you guys leave or go to a different podcast or take off your little earbuds More or reality something. reality when we just leave. Mm-hmm. Or when we just press the stop record button. Last thing, we have to pick a new movie for Banter Movie, movie Club. Club. And last time, last it was the chick flick, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Perks of Being a Wallflower. Let's hope for something a little better this time. We're going to get the old jar out. We're going to get the old jar out, and Wes is going to pick it. I can't a- actually put my hand in there, Perry. You need to turn it upside down. Okay. Da, 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 da. Shaking the jar. All right. All right. That's, that's enough. That's enough. That's enough. That's enough. <laughs> All right, Wes, what is our movie for next week? Well, Perry. <laughs> Your wishes do not come true. And once again, it is one of my movies that I oh picked. Oh, my gosh. Really, this is, I mean, it's not my fault. You gave it to me. We will be watching The Fault in Our Stars. Oh, my gosh. Together. <laughs> This is the worst. Who whose idea was Banter Movie Club? Yours. Anyway? It was literally all yours. Did we put only only chick flicks in this bowl? Uh, there's three. I'm pretty sure there's three in the entire bowl of twenty four, and now we have only Perry, one. I want you to know this was literally your idea, and it took me like eight tries of you explaining Banter Movie Club for me to understand. So this is all your fault. I'm so frustrated. I I put, I put a couple chick flicks in there, thinking like we might get one like halfway in, and I'd be like, okay, I can diversify my palate a little bit. I normally hate chick flicks. Well, now and now gonna... we're doing two out of two. Are you kidding me? Pretty soon, Perry, you'll be watching The Bachelor. I will n- no. I mean, I've seen episodes of The Bachelor before because everybody has it on, but I hate it. It's funny. Family Guy Bachelor is better. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> True statement. Oh, All right, that gosh. was so much fun. Uh, thank you to Tom Bancroft big again. Thank you. Big thanks. Um, big and, thanks. And yeah, so if you're listening and want to get more banter, then smash that little subscribe button on Apple Podcasts or the, the cute little green and black follow button on Spotify. That is how you will step to date when we, whenever we drop a new episode. You're absolutely ridiculous. I apparently. And also, we have social media. We have Facebook and we have Instagram. Instagram. Yes. Uh, whichever one you find more interesting. Most people these days, especially the, the demographic that listens to our pod, seems to like Instagram more. And we post a lot of updates, a lot of polls, and we want to hear from you because we absolutely. love you. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Send us Literally, a we do not exist watch, without you. Watch The Fault in Our Stars with us because then maybe I won't feel quite as bad watching yes. it. Just so you know, next week... Uh, we're starting a two-part series. I can't count to two. <laughs> on Disney Toon Studios. We talked about it briefly with Tom, of the studio that makes all of the sequels that most of them suck. Some of them are just average. None of them are good, really. <laughs> Except um, for Goofy Movie. And then too. there's Goofy Movie, which is a- it, amazing. Literally. Fe- nah. Me. No. It literally <laughs> should win an Oscar this year. So we'll, we'll talk about all the bad ones, bash them, and then talk how, about how great Goofy Movie is a little bit. We're going to have Alex... On the podcast, he hosts the Backside of Water Disney podcast, and it'll be a f- really good it'll be, time. It'll be, to quote Perry, phenomenal. Pretty sure I already quoted that twice. It'll be huge. Okay, huge. We're not, we are not quoting. Right. We're not quoting the man that got stuck in a peach, okay? Wes, would you like to sign us out? <laughs> All right, no, I'm signing out. This is my turn. I don't think I ever get to do it. La, 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 la. Are you doing it by yourself? No, I'm just going to start it. Okay. Uh, for the 21st time on Banter Hardly Nowhere, Everyone, stay hungry, stay humble, and stay stay hydrated. hydrated.